welcome to Come Follow Me with Brie, episode 20, The First Vision. So, dun da 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 we made it to the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, I read the other day on an, an LDS Facebook group that I'm a part of, um, somebody asking for a podcast recommendation where the host wasn't just kind of getting through the Doctrine and Covenants because they have to, um, but was excited to actually study it. And I was a little surprised as I read what they said. And as I thought about it, I guess I kind of understand what they're saying. The New Testament and the Book of Mormon are just so exciting and probably what most of us are most familiar with. But it made me start to think about how excited am I to study the Doctrine and Covenants? And also, can I pray and really invest some spiritual energy into asking Heavenly Father to help me be excited about it. Cause I am a little int- intimidated by it. Um, and I really am so excited to study the doctrine and covenants. I am super excited to increase my testimony about the stories and the people and the doctrine that's in it. I'm not going to pretend to you that I am some sort of church history expert because I'm definitely not. And I think that anyone who is a church history expert, it would be obvious to them. But I am going to study and pray and learn. And I think that plenty of you out there who are in a similar place as I am will enjoy it and I'll enjoy it. And hopefully I'll have the spirit with me. And we all know that the spirit is the best teacher anyway. So with that partnership, I can't really go wrong, right? So one of the first things that struck me as I started to study is the first sentence in this week's section of Come Follow Me. And if you follow me on Instagram um, or on my Facebook group, I already kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, And if you're not following me, you should follow me. I try and um, add some good content to your feed, and it's where I would give you any updates. Like, for instance, I was taking a break from um, the last episode and then like a couple of weeks before I was going to do this new one. Um, and so I would have, I told you there, but if you're not following me, you wouldn't know. Um, anyway, so you should follow me. And that's kind of one of my new year's goals is, um, I want to be a little bit more active on there and a little bit more intentional about intentional about giving really good content and putting that out there and, um, just getting my message out to anyone who would like to listen. Um, Anyway, sorry, got off topic. So the first sentence in this week's section of Come Follow Me, it says, The Doctrine and Covenants is a book of answers to prayers. What a great way to look at this book. I had never thought about that before, but that is exactly what it is. And obviously, these were the prayers of a prophet, so he has stewardship over the church and he can get revelations for the church. But it made me think about what kind of book of answers to prayers I could make for myself and what kind of personal revelation I might get if I was keeping a detailed record of my prayers. I remember a little while ago, my mom telling me that she kept a book of answers to prayers. And I asked her yesterday um, what she noticed from that. And one of the things she said, two things, she said, one, she could remember those answers that she might forget over time, which are some of those spiritual experiences that if you don't treasure them and you don't um, maybe write them down or whatever else you might do to show that you are thankful for them and that you treasure them, you might forget them. Um, And 
And secondly, she was being more diligent and looking and noticing answers because she was keeping a record. And another thought I had is I can also imagine that if you're having all of these things collected in one place over time, you might see a bigger answer and revelation for your life when you put all of those small answers together. So as we study this year, I am going to start my own book of answers to prayers, and I would love it if you would join with me. Um, I'm a little intimidated (laughs) because I've never been great at keeping a regular journal, but I guess I, I can believe in myself. Actually, I shouldn't say I guess when I say I believe in myself. That kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, I believe in myself. I can do this. Um, my mom also said that she compared it to like when you buy a new car and all of a sudden you see that model everywhere as you're driving around. If we're writing down answers to prayers and treasuring them and remembering them, we can start to see answers everywhere. All right, let's get into the first vision. Joseph starts out by setting the scene of the time where all the different religions and sects are arguing over doctrine and who's right and who is wrong. And it sounds like a really stressful time for this 14-year-old boy who was clearly very concerned about what he should be doing for his own salvation. And it reminds me kind of of, I have a daughter who's very serious and consistently worried that if she's doing enough and she's, we've kind of, um, we've even done therapy about it, but we've, she's gotten a lot better over time at um, going easy on herself. And I've learned better ways to talk to her. Um, But that's kind of how I imagine Joseph. And maybe it wasn't to the point of any kind of mental illness, um, like I'm thinking of with my daughter, but I think I've told you guys before that she went through a pretty severe bout of OCD, but we're doing a lot better now. Um, But I can imagine that that was a big weight on this 12 to 14 year old boy. I read another version of the first vision, first vision, and you can find them on the church website. And they're really cool to kind of read through and see what additional details are in different versions. Um, and one of the things that one of them said was that he he said that he had been pondering and been concerned about this from about the age of 12 years old. So it's not like he was 14 and he had a couple of weeks where he's like, oh, my goodness, what is true? He had years where he just had this weighing on him and he couldn't figure it out. And of course, he's dealing he's a child and he's dealing with adults that are telling him what is right and what is wrong. And I just think that sounds really stressful for for anyone, but especially for his age. He talks about the things that he was doing to try and figure things out. And he tells us of his study of the scriptures and one particular scripture that stood out to him. It is James chapter one, verse five. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I think we can all relate to Joseph in this. He says, Never did any passage of scripture come with more power to the heart of man than this did at this time to mine. It seemed to enter with great force into every feeling of my heart. I reflected on it again and again, knowing that if any person needed wisdom of God, I did. 
For how to act, I did not know, and unless I could get more wisdom than I had, then I would never know. For the teachers of of religion of the different sects understood the same passages of Scripture so differently as to destroy all confidence in setting the question by an appeal to the Bible. And at length, I came to the conclusion that I must either remain in darkness and confusion, or else I must do as James directs, that is, ask of God. I at length came to the determination to ask of God, concluding that if he gave wisdom to them that lacked wisdom and would give liberally and not upbraid, I might venture. Have you ever lacked wisdom? And that's a silly question because of course you have. We all have. So I think the real question is when we have questions, when we lack wisdom, do we come to a similar conclusion as Joseph? And I think this whole story is just so cool because it really parallels our lives in general because all of us have asked the same questions that Joseph asked, maybe not in the same way or in the same story or, you know, definitely not in the same circumstances, but we all have asked the question, what is true? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Is God real? Is the Book of Mormon real? Is the church true? All of those questions, we have all asked them. We have all lacked wisdom. And so the real question is, do we come to a similar conclusion as Joseph? Do we ask God? Do we follow through with that? We must either remain confused, as he says, or ask God. He must have come to God with such great faith, believing that God would answer. One of the main things I analyze in myself when I ask for answers is, do I believe that he will give me an answer? And that goes along with all kinds of gospel questions. Like, do I believe the atonement really works? Do I believe that my sin is actually forgiven? Am I willing to let that go because I actually believe that Jesus Christ took that sin from me? When I pray Do I actually believe that he really will give me, Brianne Heiner, will he give me an answer? I think one of my biggest hangups in the past has been that I believe that he gives answers in theory, but sometimes when I pray, my mind doesn't fully commit to that for myself. Am I really going to get an answer that I recognize? Is it going to feel clear? Am I going to know exactly what he's telling me? And the most successful prayers I've had where I've, I have gotten those clear answers and I've, I've gotten better at it over the years and I'm still working on it and getting better at it. But what I try to do is as I pray, I determine in my mind that he will answer and I believe it. And any wavering that I feel in myself, because most of that wavering, it's not really wavering that I believe he's not going to answer me, which I know is many people's problems. Many people, they're, they're, questioning whether he even answers. I believe he answers, but am I going to understand it? Am I going to hear it? Is it going to feel real to me? Or am I just going to question whether my own mind made it up? So any wavering that I feel in myself, I ask him to help make up for any unbelief that I have. Because his atonement and his life and his mercy, that extends to that. It extends to making up for the unbelief that we have. And it shows humility, I think, to say, my faith is not perfect. Please help me. 
So when Joseph went to the forest to pray, I wonder what was going on in his mind as he walked out. What kind of answer was he expecting? He says in here that he never thought about the fact that they could all be wrong, all of the, all of the churches. But something is clear to me. He did expect an answer. He really let those words from James take hold of his heart, and he believed that God would give him an answer. I'm sure he didn't think that God was actually going to appear to him, but I do believe that he believed in James James's word, words that he had gained enough of a testimony that that is true, that when he went out there, he believed he would get some sort of clarity. And I think that is a key to a new level of communication between us and our Heavenly Father when we allow ourselves to believe that He will answer. That is a removal of an enormous barrier. When we ask Him to help us believe He will answer, that is approaching Him with humility and sincerity, and I firmly believe He will bless us for that. I'm going to read verses 14 through part of 20, because you all know I'm a fan of the power of reading out loud. And actually, I encourage all of you to after or before this or whatever, um, I guess you're already listening to it, so maybe not before, but after, I want you all to read this out loud and pretend like you are the one speaking and see if that adds an added level of emotion for you. So in verse 14, so in accordance with this, my determination to ask of God, I retired to the woods to make the attempt. It was on the morning of a beautiful, clear day early in the spring of 820. It was the first time in my life I had made such an attempt, for amidst all my anxieties, I had never as yet made the attempt to pray vocally. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from an unseen world who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being, just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared when I found myself delivered from the enemy which, I, which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. My object in going to inquire of the Lord was to know which of all the sects was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself so as I was able to speak, than I asked the personages who stood above me in the light which of all the sects was right, for at this time it had never entered into my heart that they were all wrong, and which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them, for they were all wrong, and this personage who addressed me said that all of their creeds were an abomination in his sight, 
that those professors who were all corrupt and that they draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They teach for doctrines of commandments of men having a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. He again forbade me to join with any of them and many other things he did say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. When I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back, looking up into heaven. When the light had departed, I had no strength, but soon recovering in some degree, I went home. All right, so I want to now quote James E. Faust in a talk he gave called, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. He says, Joseph Hampstead, a lecturer at London University, had talked about the church and its youth and family programs to fellow lecturers at the great university. One of them said, I like all of this, what is being done for families, etc. If you could take out that bit about an angel appearing to Joseph Smith, I could belong to your church. Brother Hampstead replied, Ah, but if you take away the angel appearing to the prophet Joseph, then I couldn't belong to the church because that is its foundation. Like the professor at London University, many people see the sheer wonder of this church and are persuaded that it has great merit and substance. They appreciate what the church can do for its believers. However, they lack the spiritual confirmation that Joseph Smith actually saw in the in vision the Father and the Son, and that an angel delivered to Joseph Smith the plates from which the Book of Mormon was translated. Coming to know God is the principal spiritual gift that can come to any man or woman. Joseph Smith received this knowledge of God firsthand. Many years later, still pondering the impact of that and other happenings in his life, Joseph himself said, I don't blame anyone for not believing my history. If I had not experienced what I have, I would not have believed it myself. No one was with the boy Joseph Smith in the sacred grove in Palmyra, New York, when God the Father and his son Jesus Christ appeared. Yet, even those who do not believe it happened may find it difficult to explain away. Too much has happened since it occurred to deny that it ever took place. He continued, This all being true, however, every person must have a spiritual confirmation by the power of the Holy Ghost, which is more powerful than all the senses combined. To those who say, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief, may I suggest that you look forward with an eye of faith. To those who do this, the Lord has promised, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. How will this answer come? We're told by the Holy Ghost. And to those who don't have a testimony and don't believe in the gospel, that might seem like some sort of imaginary construct in our mind. but. There is nothing more powerful than a witness from the Holy Ghost. How has this answer come to you? Has it come to you? Are there things that you still still feel that you need answered that you would like to ask him? I know for me, there was no one big event. It's a culmination of small moments of quiet confirmation in my heart. We we're all given the light of Christ. We all have the ability to feel truth. And the biggest testimony builder for me is recalling those moments. When, Whenever I have questions that I know I've asked before, or I feel a wavering in any way, I think about what the Lord tells Oliver Cowdery in D&C 6. He said, 
in verse 22, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night you cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? When you have doubts, cast your mind to the times that he spoke peace to your heart. And if you haven't felt that yet, or it's been a really long time and you've kind of forgotten, allow him to help your unbelief. Ask him to help your unbelief in humility and sincerity, being willing to put aside your own view of things and your own construct of the world and allow him to help your unbelief and wait for answers on his timeline. We were sent here to have trials so that we can grow. He knows exactly when the perfect timing for you is. I don't know what your circumstance is, but he does. And I think it's less about when he is willing to give us an answer, but more about when our hearts are ready to receive it and follow through and ready to let God prevail. And so I think sometimes when we're feeling like we're not getting an answer, a lot of that has to do with areas that we need to grow and we need to still progress and let go of. And if you feel yourself fighting against that and feeling angry that I, I'm asking, I am being humble, I am being sincere, because I know I felt that before where I'm like, why am I not getting an answer? And feeling mad that Heavenly Father isn't just giving it to me. But the fact that I am even going there, even willing to be upset at Heavenly Father and question Him, is a sign that maybe I, I still have some pride to let go of or some some sort of hurdle in my mind that I'm not quite ready to even get that answer. But once we get that answer, once we get an answer to that one thing, whatever we're praying about, we need to remember. I always think about Laman and Lemuel when they were given so many amazing spiritual experiences and confirmations and literal liahonas in front of them. And they had times where they came back to God and they were willing to repent. But ultimately, because they didn't treasure those experiences, because they didn't cast their minds upon that continually and they allowed themselves to be, get get wrapped up in that, they were able to forget those experiences. And I know that I have people in my life even who I know had incredible spiritual experiences and testimony building moments, but because they allowed themselves to get far away from that and kind of forget the impact that that had in that moment on them, it doesn't get to just stay around if we don't treasure it. And this all comes back to the beginning when I was talking about recalling our answers to prayers. If we can recall those quiet times in our hearts, we will have access to constant reassurance. And I love in that Oliver Cowdery quote that I um, quoted where the Lord didn't rebuke him for saying that he wanted a further witness. He said, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind back to that night when I spoke peace to your heart. That is a tool, us remembering, us treasuring those experiences. He intends for us to use that recall to help confirm 
confirm in our minds what we have already received a testimony and a witness of. Think of how pleased Heavenly Father is when we treasure those experiences and how much more likely we are to get more when we treasure those experiences, when we reflect on them, when we show our gratitude for them by cementing them in our minds, by writing them down. Think of how much more motivation to follow the commandments we could sustain if we were always able to recall those moments. Think of the increased blessings we could qualify for if we're showing the Lord that we're willing to take such great care of these memories. President Nelson said, Pray in the name of Jesus Christ about your concerns, your fears, your weaknesses, yes, the very longings of your heart, and then listen. Write the thoughts that come to your mind. Record your feelings and follow through with actions that you are prompted to take. As you repeat this process day by day, month after month, year after year, you will grow into the principle of revelation. How incredible is that? Our prophet is teaching us how we can grow into the principle of revelation. And I am so, so excited to begin this book of answers to prayers of my very own because I I feel like this is one of the things I've struggled with is recognizing answers to prayers and being sure that it's coming from him and not just from my own mind. And there the prophet is teaching me how to grow into the principle of revelation. And I am so excited to see how it can bless my life in a priceless way. I I already know it will. And I'd like to bear my testimony that I know the prophet Joseph Smith was a prophet of God. I know that he saw God the Father and his son Jesus Christ. And I know it because I have received witnesses over and over again. And some of those witnesses are recalling the moments when I've received those witnesses. I'd like to bear my testimony that Heavenly Father answers our prayers. He answered Joseph's prayer, but he is no respecter of persons. He will answer your prayers too. We just need to know how to listen and how to notice. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to encourage you to share this if it has been beneficial for you and brought the spirit to your day. I think whether you're sharing this or some other gospel topic, I think it's so important now in this time that we are not afraid to share with our friends and our family. And I'm not just talking about people who don't belong to our church. Every one of us need added strength during this time because we have been told by our prophet that it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. So let's help each other out. So whether you're sharing this podcast or another podcast or something else that has added to the spirit of your day and to your ability to have the Holy Ghost with you, that is something we need to be doing. We need to be helping each other out and helping each other stay on track. And I will talk to you again next week.